0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the Trip of a Lifetime. Shavuot tov, Chodesh Tov. We are on an exciting week. Today is the week of Shavuot. I'm hoping uh, that all of you are getting ready for the Festival of Shavuot. Shavuot being the festival that we celebrate the receiving of the Torah. And one of the ideas behind the receiving of the Torah is that we should learn Torah every single day. And that's why I'm here with you every single Monday to give you a taste of Torah. We are transversing the, the Bible, right? We are in the book of Exodus and we are following up in chapter 4. Um, you're able to pick up any... Um, previous shows, of course, always on our podcasts and are always welcome questions or comments from you on 34519, which is our SMS line. 61 is our telegram number. We left off last week where we were told that, um, that, that Moses was directed by God to go to uh, Egypt. And we are now going to see about something abhorrent that actually happens on the way, but gives a very, very strong message to us. So we're in chapter four. We're going to start verse twenty-four, and let's see what actually happens. Ba'yehi ba'derech ba'malon, he was on the way. He was like he was in a camping place. Hashem, God confronts Moshe. Va'yivakesh hamito, and he wants to put him to death. Well, that's quite a, like a, a, a left swipe on a story. Here God says, great, I'm glad you're going to be my emissary. Off you go. This is fantastic, brilliant. And as he picks up and he goes, he puts his wife and two kids on the donkey and he's camping somewhere on the way to, to, <laughs> to Egypt. God looks for him and he wants to put him to death. What is going on? Well, um, we are told that You know, we know that Moshe had a son soon after he married Zipporah. Um, We know that from chapter 2, verse 22. And now we are told that he actually had a second son whom he would name Eliezer. But before he had a chance to give Eliezer a bris, he left Midian and he set off to Egypt. And that is why an angel of God, not God himself, but an angel of God confronts Moshe and wants to kill him. Why? Because he didn't briss his son. In fact, in the Zohar, in the Kabbalistic teachings we are told that Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yuchai said that this, this angel that came, his name was Gabriel, and he descended from heaven to burn Moshe. He came down as a huge flame and then the fl- flame transformed itself into a huge serpent threatening to swallow Moshe. And the angel said to him, you are on a mission to defeat the mighty, uncircumcised serpent who is Paroi. You are about to lead my children out of Egypt. How could you have forgotten your own child and allowed him to remain uncircumcised? So there seems to be quite a big repercussion for Moshe not um, circumcising his son. Now, it's quite a wild uh, repercussion, to say the least, that an angel of God comes in, okay, um, and wants to kill him. Uh, We need to ask ourselves the question, why is God being so punishing to him? Well, we know there's an adage that God is exacting to a hand's breadth. With all his tzaddikim and even if they do a minor misdeed in this world, and this is not necessarily minor, but if, if he does a minor misdeed in this world, they will be punished so that they can enter the next world perfectly free from all taint. So in the case of Moshe, the angel came to kill him immediately because he neglected to circumcise his son. What do we, what do we learn from here? How important the covenant or the ritual of circumcision is. How import, vitally important Brit Miller is. Okay, um, Let's just talk a little bit about, about how we go about circumcising our child. First of all, it has to be a ritual circumcision. So if one is really, really um, worried about it, one can't say, okay, I'll circumcise my son, but I will get a doctor to do it. That is not considered a circumcision according to Halacha. You may have a mohel who is also a doctor, if that makes you feel better, but you cannot have a doctor who is not a mohel because certain ritual um, rites have to be performed that only somebody who is an orthodox um, mohel will know. That's number one. Number two, the law is is that once the baby is born, on the eighth day, the circumcision must be performed and cannot be delayed for any reason whatsoever other than the health of the baby. So we do have circumstances when the baby um, may be in the NICU, the baby might be sick. Then the halacha will defer to uh, the medical opinion and will wait for the doctor to give the authority that the baby is well enough to be brisk. Generally, um, as a rule, uh, babies are not brisked under two and a half kilos, and even if a baby is born over two and a half kilos, if the baby is sick and a brisk will be detrimental to his health, and that is the opinion of doctors that is brought to the rabbis, and generally they will and They will give authority to wait for a delayed brisk. If the brisk is to be on time, meaning the mother gave birth, we brisk on the eighth day, um, Eight, the reason why we do it on the eighth day, not the seventh, because seven in Jewish law is uh, symbolic of that which happens in the realm of nature. Eight is one above nature. We are doing a bris on the eighth day to, to say to ourselves, to say to our children, to say to the world that being circumcised is not something of just medical concern, but being circumcised is an indelible mark of the Jewish faith. And we are doing something that is beyond nature. In fact, um, it says that one um, who is not circumcised will not be allowed to go through the pearly gates, be allowed to come into heaven. If somebody has been in the unfortunate situation, and there are, particularly in places like Russia, that circumcision was banned, um, it's not ever never too late. In fact, very interestingly, um, I might share with you that I saw an article maybe about two weeks ago that in Toronto, a man, I think, I stand corrected for the exact age, but I think he was 97 years old. He came from Russia. He was completely unf- unaffiliated, and in his very latter years now, he became connected with a shul in Toronto, and he underwent Brit Miller. He went un, un- um underwent a circumcision, and the headline was unbelievable. The headline said, second oldest man, the first man that is second to Abraham Avinu had a circumcision. We know that Abraham Avinu, our forefather Abraham, he had a circumcision at 99, this guy was 97. Quite an unbelievable story. Just to go back, though, if a Brit is delayed due to illness, then when there is the possibility to have a Brit Miller, um, as soon as you get the go-ahead, you're incumbent to make the Brit Miller instantly. You can't go and say, well, I've waited a month, now I'm going to wait for my Boba to come from America and Zada to come from Israel, and I'm going to delay it another four days. Once you have been given the medical permission to have the Brit Miller you are obligated immediately to do the Brit Miller. And how do we understand the severity of, um, prolonging or stopping or not doing a Brit Miller on time from the story we're learning now that if an angel came out to destroy Moshe Rabbeinu because he didn't do Brit Miller on his, uh, on his child, we should know and understand how important it is that we do Brit Miller on time. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, so we understand how important it is for 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 us to do a circumcision. Now, let's put it back into uh, in, into perspective somewhat, because obviously we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe wouldn't wantonly neglect this important ritual. Okay, that would be unthinkable. You'd think that Moshe Rabenu, who we revere as Moshe Rabenu, as the, the holiest person that ever lived, do you think that he would go? Now nah, I just can't be bothered right now. So what was Moshe thinking? So the Midrash goes and tells us, okay, that um, his child was eight days old on the day that Moshe was supposed to leave for Egypt. So Moshe figured that if he circumcised his child and then he left, he would probably put his child's life in danger because the first three days after circumcision, the child is particularly susceptible to trauma, to infection. So if he waited, if he circumcised his child and then what would happen? He would not be able to wait for the wound to heal because God had told him to go to Egypt immediately. So he weighed all those things up. And he decided to delay the circumcision until he reached Egypt. So that that is the story as to why he did that. Nevertheless, we learn from this that one should never put off doing a good deed or observing a commandment, even if a person is young, because you have no guarantee that you would be alive to do it later. So if a mitzvah does come your way, then please ensure that you do it as soon as possible and without delay. Now, there he is, sitting in the encampment. There he is, being almost eaten up by 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 an angel. And you can imagine Mrs. Moses, Tzipora, watching all of this. So what does Tzipora do to save the day? Let's look at verse 25 and 26 of chapter 4. Vatikach Tzipora Tzor. Sipora takes a sharp stone, she cuts off her son's foreskin, and she touches his feet with it, and she says to Moshe, you are the husband of blood to me, and God spares Moshe, and Sipora says, you're a husband of blood of circumcision. A little bit of a, uh, enigmatic way of describing things, but basically, Zipporah knew that Moshe had deserve, was deserving to die for neglecting the circumcision, and so what she did is that she herself took a stone, she circumcised her son, um, and she did the two parts to the circumcision, which is the first, is the cutting away of the foreskin and then the second is the uncovering. It's called the priya of the corona and splitting the membrane and pulling it down. So that's what she did and Mrs. Moses, um, aka Tzipora, saves Moshe Rabbeinu's life. Absolutely amazing but the most important thing to remember is that when it comes to Brit Miller, um, it is something very much embedded in the tradition and in the, 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 the paradigm of the Jewish people, and it's not something that we ever, ever choose not to do. It is one of the most fundamental signs of, of, of Judaism and of Jewish men in particular. Okay, so now he is saved from all of that. Let's see what happens on his journey. Hashem El Aharon. Now God is speaking to Aharon. Aharon being Moshe's brother. Who where is he? He's in Egypt. What does God say to him? Lehlikrat Moshe Hamidbara. Go towards the desert to meet Moshe. and he goes. He meets him very close to God's mountain. And he kisses him. Right. Let's understand this a little bit more. So while God tells Moshe, off you go, go back to Egypt, God is saying to Aaron, off you go, go meet Aaron, go meet your brother, sorry, in the, 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 the desert. Now there is a, a beautiful verse, um in chapter 62 of Tehillim, in 62 of the book of Psalms, that actually is a description of what really happened here. The verse reads as follows. I'm going to read it in Hebrew and then translate it. Achat diber. A single word. Achat diber elokim. A single word is spoken by God. Shtayim zur But I heard two. Ki Because there is strength to God. What does this verse mean? Our Rabbis tell us that this is talking about here. Uh, God spoke once but I heard two things. Okay, what does that mean? That God, being God, and being able to be greater than nature, he issued a single word. The single word was, let the redemption begin, Moshe leave Egypt, Aaron uh, leave, um, sorry, Moshe leave Midian, Aaron leave Egypt. And what happened was, that, Moshe heard, go and return to Egypt. Aaron heard, go towards the desert and meet Moshe. But in truth, what happened, it actually, in fact, was one word. So we can argue, and we know, that if we are trying to understand it in terms of physical speech, such a phenomenon, you can't understand it, Right. But with spiritual speech, when it's emanating from a spiritual place, a single word can be heard in two different ways okay um and even more than that, if anybody was standing next to Moshe or Aaron, they would not have heard anything because this word came through um prophetically so um that is really what happened and if you go look um, back a little bit, it says that when 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 Hashem is telling um, Moshe, that Aaron is um, that Aaron is going to come and meet you. I just want to have a look back at the verse. Um, yeah, it's gonna take a little while for me to go and find all of that. God says Aaron is coming out to meet you. He uses the word yotse and if you look at that word Yotzeh, you will see that it's without a vav. It should be read Yud Vav Tzadik Aleph, and in the actual verse it says Yud Tzadik Aleph. That means Yatza. When you go from Yotzeh to Yatzah, you going from present to past tense, meaning that, that Aaron had already left. How could Aaron have already left when he's talking to Moshe? Because exactly that, God's prophetic word splits, and in the very instance that he was speaking to Moshe, Aaron had already got the message, and he set out to meet him. Where do they meet? They meet near Baha'r Elokim, near God's mountain. That means Harsinai, because the Mount Sinai was along the route from Midian to Egypt. And when the brothers meet, Aaron kisses Moshe uh, for showing him the respect due to an older brother. Verse 28, Vayaged Moshe, et kol Hashem, shalacho, kol Moshe told Aaron all of God's word, words involving his mission, as well as the signs that he had told him to do. So basically, Moshe, Moshe told Aaron everything God had told him when he sent him on his mission. He also told him about the miracles that God had ordered him to perform. And he wasn't boastful that... God spoke to me and not to you in a humble manner. He explained to his older brother Aaron um what it is that God said. We're also told we that we also told that he taught Aaron the mysteries of what's called the shame hamiforash the explicit name. This is a secretive name that God had taught him um, and that it will be used to perform the miracles in egypt and by the way. As good brothers would be, um, he also told his uh, brother Aaron how he tried again and again to get out of the mission without success. But what was beautiful over here is, How beautiful it is that brothers sit together. Each brother rejoiced in the position that the other had attained. Although um, Moshe was to be the leader, Aaron was to be the high priest. And so there was absolutely no jealousy between the two. They were going to go back and do what God expected them to do. Right, let's continue on verse 29. I'm going to read three verses now, 29, 30, and 31. And so Moshe and Aharon went. They went back, obviously, to Goshen, and they gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. Remember, Aaron is now the spokesman for Moshe. Aaron tells the the elders all the things that God had told Moshe. And they also did the signs that uh, before the people. And the people believed and they heard that God had kept the children of Israel in mind and that he had seen their misery and they were so excited they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. Now, let's again put into context Um, Where the brothers are holding I mean where the Israelites are holding It was unlikely Practically At this point in time um, For God to come And redeem them Why? Because God told Abraham That his offspring will be subjugated For 410 years They were only in year 210 So they were halfway through Just a little over halfway through Okay, so they had no expectation that right now they would be told that they were going to, they were going to go free. So the question is, how is it then that Moshe could come and free the Jews? Well, on two, on, for two reasons. Number one, it says because Pakad Hashem, God, God counted we just read um, God counted the Jewish people what does this counting mean well it's pretty mathematical God had seen that the Jews had increased abnormally in a totally abnormal manner, right? That was one of the reasons why Paro was so nervous because a woman, as we were told right in the beginning of the book of Shemot, they were having babies six at a time. So the population in Goshen of the Jews um, grew exponentially. Now, because of their great number, it could be counted as if their period of exile had come to an end. Why? Because the mathematics works like this. If one thousand people are destined to be subjugated for 400 years, then two thousand people should only be subjugated for 200 years. So they had grown unbelievably abnormally um, during this time. they had more than doubled. What should have been the descendants of, of things and therefore they had hurried up and brought the redemption much closer. Secondly, okay, there is another part to the verse where it says, Um Kira'a et on that God had seen their misery. Why would that make the period of exile shorter? Because God told Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 15, he said the Egyptians will enslave and oppress them. And we've spoken about this before. The Egyptians went far beyond that in making the Israelites suffer. Okay? So their, their enslavement and oppression was exponentially greater and therefore it contracted the 400 years that they were to stay um, in Egypt, so that is why, surprise, surprise, we're only 210 of the 400 years, but they land up, um, they land up with with Moshe and Aaron coming to their to their rescue. Now, um, when Moshe gave them the, this this information through Aaron, obviously. The people believed in their mission, they bowed their heads to show respect for Moshe, they prostrated themselves on the ground, and they thanked Hashem for remembering them. They also, we are told in the Midrash, prostrated themselves because they heard that name, the Shem Farash, that special name of Hashem coming out of Aaron's lips. Now, truthfully, this alone, just this alone, would have been enough to convince them, even without any other signs. Nevertheless, the two brothers went and performed all three prescribed signs. And for those who missed out last week and the week before, the first was that the staff would be transformed into a serpent. Oh. Mush's, the second would be that Mushe's hand became leprous. And, and the third was that the water changed into blood. Now, one of the other ideas that we need to understand here is that Moshe and God told Aharon to perform these three wonders. Okay? Why? Because God wanted to accustom Aaron to perform miracles in public so that when he had to do so before Paro, he would be able to do that effectively. Right? Why? Because when you perform a miracle like this, the performance of the miracle um, involves extremely deep meditation. And one could just imagine that if Aaron had to do so for the first time in Paro's presence, he might not be able to um, concentrate just because of the fear of God. And so this was like a practice run. They said, um, Aaron you go into a state of deep meditation, change the, star, the staff into a snake, change his hand into to leprosy, change the, the, the water into blood, and see that you can do it in front of your own people, because once you've practiced that, then we are sure that you won't have cold feet when you land up in front of of uh, of, of IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Just one more small thing before we move on. There is another opinion that it wasn't Moshe or Aaron that did the, that, that did the, the miracles, but rather, um, the miracles did themselves, meaning that Moshe's staff itself miraculously spoke to the people and said, when I was in Midian, I was transformed and became a serpent. And then Moshe's arm miraculously spoke up and said, I suddenly became covered with leprosy and then just as quickly I returned to normal. The question is, why does, is there that opinion? Because it comes to teach us that God wanted to avoid embarrassing Moshe. If you remember, these two signs, the staff turning into the snake and Moshe's arm becoming leprous, were signs that Moshe had slandered the Jewish people. And when this happened, it ha- Moshe was alone. God didn't want him now to become leprous before all the people, so he made the staff and Moshe's arms speak up by themselves and tell them of the miracle. Lesson to be learned. Be very careful not to embarrass um, others. And finally, before we move on, whilst they, they bowed down, they prostrated themselves, they acknowledged Moshe and Aaron, what they did was that the elders then went back to a very old lady? We've mentioned her before. Her name was Serach. She was her father was Asher, one of the twelve sons of of um, of Jacob. And she knew the signs of redemption. So they came to her and they said to her, "Listen, a man has come. He's claiming to be God's emissary, and he's performed miracles before our very eyes." And she said and replied to them, that means nothing. And then the elder said, but he he recited the words, the important words, pakod, pakaditi, I've surely counted, I've surely thought about it. Okay, and to that she says, in that case, he is the redeemer, for I have received this uh, tradition from my father. Right, let's now learn the most fascinating, which you will not pick up, in just reading the verses of the Bible, but we are going to pick up from the Midrash. We're now looking at chapter 5, verse 1. Ba'achar, and afterwards, Moshe Moshe and Aaron came, Ba'yomru el paro, they said to Paro, Ko amar Hashem, so says God, Elokei Yisrael, the God of Israel, shlach let my people go, so they may celebrate a festival to me in the desert. Can you see, we just finished the last verse of chapter 4, where they bow down and they prostrate to him and they say, okay, we agree to you, and the next minute, boom! They are in front of Paro saying, let my people go! But there's a whole story behind it. So, let me tell you what happened. Once the, 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 elders of the Jewish people, um, believed and understood that Moshe was in fact a true emissary of God. He said to, the, 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 he, um, he said to the, he said, Moshe said to the, the elders, come, let's all go to Paroi together and let's tell Paroi what God said. So off they all went. They all set out together. But guess what, folks? <laughs> Along the way, and I should add, understandably, the elders started changing their minds because they were so scared of Pharaoh. One by one, they left, they left the group until eventually Moshe and Aaron rocks up at the palace, Stokalian, as we say in South Africanism, all alone. So the whole entourage just simply fell away by the time they made, they made their way to the, the palace because admittedly, that was very scary. Now, Paris palace his royal palace was huge it was also very heavily guarded and it became it soon became very obvious both to Moshe and Aaron that there was no way that they were just simply going to rock up at the palace and speak to Paro they sat outside they were totally discouraged says the Midrash until suddenly the archangel Gabriel appeared and carried them whoop Transplanted them in the palace, in the, in the vestibules of the palace. Pyroi heard a disturbance and he learned that there's two unauthorized strangers suddenly appearing in the palace. So he called the palace guards. He raged at them for allowing strangers to sneak into the palace and sadly and sadly. <laughs> An unfortunate amount of guards were summarily executed, and others were dismissed from their post. What, 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 what a, 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 a shanda this was! And Moshe and Aaron were taken out of the palace. So the next day, Moshe and Aaron come again, okay, and again they get transported into the palace by the angel Gabriel. Again, Pyro summons the officers of the guard. He screams at them, are you blind if people find it so easy to get in the palace? What uses of you? And the officers reply, your majesty, the guards around the palace were especially tight today. There is no way that a person could have gotten into the palace without knowing it. And if the people entered the palace without our knowledge, I'm telling you, they must have done it through sorcery. Well, in the meantime... Aaron and, and Moshe are trying to gain access to the throne room. Now, if you thought that his, uh, his barbed wire and his electric friends and his, uh, all his guards were not able to get him to get into the throne room, this inner chamber was guarded by two huge lions. And any unauthorized person approaching the throne room would be torn to pieces by fierce, fierce beasts. And basically what happened was, is really across the whole palace, key entrances were guarded by lions, by wolves, by other fierce fierce beasts. And if you had to pass through it, the guards would have to give the animals fresh meat to distract them. Anyway, walking through the palace, Moshe knew what to do when he encountered these beasts. What did he do? He merely touched them with his staff and they became as meek as lambs. And as Moshe Moshe and Aaron proceeded through the palace, the wild beast began to follow him like train guards. So imagine now, Moshe finally comes into the throne room, accompanied by what? A huge honor guard of regal white wild beasts. And Paroi is astounded by the strange sight. Moshe and Aaron were dressed in simple peasant clothes, but they looked, they looked like they, they were so royal. And Pairoi was scared. He goes, what do you want? No, said Moshe, that Hashem, Yudke Vavke, God of the Hebrews has sent me to you and has instructed me to let my people go so they may be able to soc- sacrifice to me in the desert. Pairoi couldn't work out whether it was Arthur or Martha, so he said to them, Come back tomorrow. I will speak to you then. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Well, the story is about to get even more dramatic, and there is so much drama that I've decided that I'm going to stop you because if I start getting into the next verse and the drama of what Paro has to say, it's going to take me a while. So you're going to have to hang on to your seats and tune again back. Next Monday at 1 p.m. for the what happens the next day when Paro says to Moshe and Aaron come back. In the meantime, let me remind you that Shavuot is this week and it is a time in celebrating the incredible knowledge, the infinite wisdom that God has given each and every Jew as an inheritance. And I encourage each and every man, woman and child to make their way to a shul on Friday morning and to listen with their own ears to the receiving of the Ten Commandments, which we are taught that in the Ten Commandments we actually can derive all 613 mitzvot that we really have. Of course, you must not forget your cheesecake and all the wonderful milchiks that we're all going to eat because we are told that when the Torah was given, the mountain was covered in, in, in snow or in milk and also all the fresh flowers and beauty that we will have. And on that note, I wish all our listeners a chak sameach and i'll see you same time same same time same place next week